Praise the Lord. Did I turn it off or did I turn it on? Is anybody here for the youth? There are where? Who's got the youth? Anybody? How many we got? Three? Three? It's up to you guys, unless you want to hear what I got to talk about, about moving past forgiveness. This is my 12th part, and uh, I'm going to talk about David and Absalom tonight. Hmm. Pretty tricky stuff there. One of these times, Brother Rico, I'd like you to give your testimony, what God has done for you. You want to do it now? Yeah, come up here. Get that mic ready, Pastor Ken. It's under your seat. You know God does miracles. He certainly does. Let's get you to talk onto that. You get to preaching, that's all right. Boy, yeah. amen you. About uh, nine weeks ago, I came up to Kevin after the service was over with on a Wednesday and uh, asked him to have me deliver from the drugs and the alcohol, which I've been struggling with uh, all of my life. 56 years old, I've probably been struggling with this since I was young. And uh, I haven't had a desire, craving, thought, neither one, for the alcohol or drugs ever since he laid his hands on me. And as a matter of fact, when he laid his hands on me, I just felt it all. I mean, I feel it now. I mean, I'm just, I feel the Holy Spirit now. I mean, it just left me. I just feel it leave me. You know, I've never felt anything like that before. I just started crying, you know, I just knew it was going away for good. And, you know, I had, I try not to look back. Sometimes I need to to remind myself what I was, you know. But when I pray at night, you know, I ask God to change everything about me. Anything that's bad, I say, please, God, take it away. You know, fill me with the Holy Spirit. I ask that the Holy Spirit come into my mind, into my heart, and especially out of my mouth, just like I told David before service, because my mouth gets me in more trouble but, you know, and, and, you know, it's really, really working. You know, I mean, the Holy Spirit has been convicting me. I probably haven't said a curse word in a month. You know, it just doesn't come out of my mouth anymore. You know, and I know it's the Holy you. Spirit. I mean, I have, you know, my vocabulary is totally different. You know, it's great, you know. But, uh, now, if I get mad in Spanish, I might get, you know, say a curse or two. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm doing so much better, you know. I mean, I put weight on. I feel good. Uh, people at work are starting to like so good to be clean and to have Jesus in my heart, to know that he guided me in everything I do, you know. I just love him, and I love you guys. Thank you. Praise the Lord. It's a great testimony. When he came up, I just put my hand on his neck and on his head and prayed for the hand of God to come on him, and and I saw it. I saw the Holy Spirit just come all over him. And whatever was in him just left him. You remember, it felt like it just lifted right off. And that's what God can do for you. Too many people won't believe it. Or they think they aren't worthy enough. Or they don't deserve it. But you know what? Everybody can be free if they really want to be free. If they will embrace the power of the Holy Spirit, they can be living freedom. That was a great song tonight. That's why I felt like that testimony is for somebody, Rico. I went and ate breakfast there the other day, and he was already gone. It was a late breakfast. Dave and I went. And the lady that we know there, I forget her first name now. Linda? Yeah. Anyway... I said, well, how's Rico doing at work? She said, he is totally different. <laughs> said, we like him now. <laughs> what a great testimony. But other people see it. When God does it, he does it good enough for other people to see it. 
and for them to want it. There's somebody watching tonight that saw that testimony, and they're going to say, I want that same liberty. I want that same freedom and the freedom that Randy's saying about. I, I did, sometimes I'll put my own uh, Facebook page on live. I know we have our own uh, Heartland Facebook page live and then YouTube. But sometimes I do mine and there's a lot of people that don't go to the church page that start watching. It catches them off my page. There was a lot of people tonight picking it up off my page. And uh, some of them were praising God. Some said, ooh, I can feel his presence. You know, uh, pastors, Bruce Underhill was one of them. He, he said, holla, holla. I think that means hallelujah or something. I don't know. That, that might be a redneck saying for all I know. I am one probably. So anyway, but he enjoyed it and others. And, uh, you know, it's just tremendous. I noticed uh, an obituary came out. One of our old friends, Butch Ward, Carl Butch Ward passed away. They're having a service, I think, when tomorrow or Friday or but anyway, he uh, was on the board at the Assembly of God when I worked there as one of the pastors. And uh, he was over the maintenance and everything down at the school where I had uh, administration over. And, uh, you know, we just remember their family right now. They're a great family. Joanne used to be the league cook at the Twin Towers years ago. People come from all over to eat her food or country cooking. But Butch and I would leave the school and go over there and eat some of Joanne's cooking for lunch many a day. And uh, he loved the Lord. And he got saved when that church was down on Leicester Street, which became the Nivert Clinic, which is now FC, is FCC. Is that what it's called? It's, a, it's the crisis center now. And I don't know what all they're going to do in there, but that's a pretty good-sized building. So we uh, thank God for, for their family and their lives, what they meant to us, and so on. Well, this is maybe the last part. I've been struggling because I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to talk about next. I have thought about talk, talking about uh, deliverance and the occult some, I've thought about the prophetic, doing something about the prophetic uh, and demonstrating, you know, the prophetic, uh, if people will come. You've got to have people that want to be prophesied over. It's got to be drawn out of you, the anointing. They have to tap into it. But we're going to go into 2 Samuel verse, chapter 14, verse 25. And let's read it off the screen. It says, Now in all Israel there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head there was no blemish in him. And all the country wept with a loud voice and all the people... Well, let's see, that wasn't... No, it was supposed to be through, not two verses, several verses. But anyway, I can catch us up here while we're trying to work that out. But anyway, and the king said, let me see where I was. Verse 25. Okay, there was no one in Israel that looked like him. He was a good-looking guy. He was like a movie star. And when he cut the hair of his head, at the end of every year, he cut it because it was heavy on him. Boy, I don't know what that'd be like. Have hair so long, beautiful, and heavy that it weighed a lot. But it says, when he cut it because it's heavy. And when he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels according to the king's standard 
you know, the people that use hair for cancer wigs and so on for cancer patients, they would love to get a hold of Absalom's hair. To Absalom were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of beautiful appearance. And Absalom dwelt two full years in Jerusalem, but did not see the king's face. Therefore Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. And when he sent again a second time, he would not come. You see, Absalom had been banned because he got mad at a brother who raped one of his sisters. Now, back in the Bible times, people married their relatives. You know, uh, sometimes, like David had, I don't know how many wives, I'd have to go back and look it up. But these kings, a lot of them had several wives and even concubines. And, and sometimes they married women to make a deal with another country to make peace. So the king would marry one of their daughters and they'd have peace between one another. And so anyway, Absalom, I, did he, how did he kill him? Do you remember? With a knife, you think? Anyway, he killed this brother that raped the sister. And so he was banished. And the king didn't want to see him. David didn't want to see him. And, you know, he, he looked like the one who should be the heir apparent. But, of course, we know God had other plans. But let's go along the way here. And so Absalom sent for Joab to go to the king and see if he could return. And he said to his servant, See, jo Joab's field is near mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. And Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Then Joab, you know, that'd make me mad. Wouldn't it make you mad? Somebody put your field on fire? Well, he rose and came to Absalom's house and said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Joab and said, Look, I sent you, saying, Come here so that I may send you to the king to say, Why have I come from Geshur, it would be better for me to be there still. Now, therefore, let me see the king's face, his daddy. But if there is iniquity in me, let him execute me. If there's anything wrong in me, let him kill me. So Joab went to the king and told him, and when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king. Then the king kissed Absalom. He showed him his love and turned his face towards him once again. After this, it happened in chapter 15 that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. See, he had an agenda going on. There's a great book that's called Three Kings. And uh, it, it's a wonderful book, and it really talks about how, you know, one king's legitimate, one wasn't the right kind of king, then one was legitimate, and then one wanted to take over. So it was about Saul, David, and Absalom. And sometimes somebody would even say, well, they have an Absalom spirit. You know, because they're trying to go behind somebody's back and take over. And the name Absalom, you know, Salam, that is the, like Shalom. Absalom means the father of peace. And Absalomism, that's a tough one, isn't it? Absalomism, till this day, it means to be unfaithful to spiritual fathers and bring harm against them. So when somebody's talking about Absalom, they're talking about a traitor, mostly. 
But here he was, Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate. So it was, whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision, that Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who has any suit or cause would come to me. Then I would give him justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He was campaigning. You see this in elections. People stand outside and shake everybody's hand. Even they want to go to church when they have never been to that church before. That would happen in Homestead. I had politicians come out of the woodwork when I was pastor down there, wanting to come and sit in our service right before election time because they know if they greeted me, I'd recognize them being in the service. And everybody think, oh, they must be a good guy because he's at our church today. And, you know, I won't get into that because we've seen all kinds of stuff on TV. I will say that Bill Clinton could play a mean saxophone. He used to go down to the United Pentecostal Church's campground in Louisiana, and he knew the, the lead pastor of that district real well, and he would play the saxophone in some of the services. Then they'd play golf together. But anyway, and so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand, take him, and kiss him. In this manner, he acted, so he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Now, verse 7. Now it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said to the king, Please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. For your servant took a vow while I dwelt at Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. You know anybody that tried to make a deal with God before? Oh, Lord, if you'll help me out of this, I'll go to church every Sunday. Something like that. Anyway, the king said to him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men invited from Jerusalem, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. Then Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from his city, from Gilo. Then, while he offered sacrifices, and the conspiracy grew strong, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. See, numbers is not always a righteous thing. You might think you got the biggest church in town or something, but it might not be the best church. I'm not saying anything. Now a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And so David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. David was getting older. He wasn't quite as spry about it. He had been a warrior king, and he didn't know if he really, he didn't want to fight his son, for one thing. But the king's servants said to the king, We're your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. Then the king went out with all his household after him, and the king left ten women concubines to keep the house. And the king went out with all the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. 
Then all his servants passed before him, and all the Cherethites, all the Peleothites, and all the Gittites, or Gittites, 600 men who had followed from him from Gath, passed before the king. Then the king said to Itlai, Itlai, Ittai, <laughs> I knew I'd get it eventually, the Gittite, why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today, since I go, I know not where. Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. But Ittai answered the king and said, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. So David said to Ittai, Go and cross over. Then Ittai the Gittite, Gittite and all his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over. And all the country wept with a loud voice, and all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron, and all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. Now, we're going to turn to 2 Samuel 16. But while we're there, you know, it doesn't matter how popular you are or were. It doesn't matter what all you've accomplished. Sometimes you've got to go through sad situations. Sometimes even splinters of family. And, you know, that's just tough. It's very troubling to go through something like that. And we're going to move on by and go all the way because there's a lot more to this story, but I just want to hit certain things. But 2 Samuel 16, we're going to look. And we're going to look about verse 11, where it says, And David said to Abishai and all his servants, See how my son who came from my own body seeks my life? How much more now may this Benjamite, let alone him, let him alone and let him curse for the Lord has ordered him. Now what had happened was when they crossed over this man came out named Shimei and he made big to do because David was on his way out and so Shimei decided he was going to curse at him and poke fun at him. So they want to know, do you want us to slay this dude? And David told him, no. If the Lord wants him to say this to me, let him say what he's got to say. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction, that the Lord will repay me with good for his cursing this day. And as David and his men went along the road, Shimei went along the hillside opposite him and cursed as he went and threw stones at him and kicked up dust. <coughs> now you're going to have a lot of different things come about that you couldn't imagine. Shimei, his name literally, I'll tell you a short story. <coughs> when I was in Homestead and I was wondering what's wrong with this church because it just was not growing. And I was young, enthusiastic. I'd talk to everybody I could, invite them to church and so on. And I would pray. I had a prayer team like we have here. I wasn't as old or as wise then. And they were a nice group of people. And the lady that led it, I thought she was really for me. And the people, the church had started growing a little bit. And 
was praying in the auditorium, and the Lord, I heard him loud and clear. I said, what's wrong here? He said, it's a Shemei spirit. About 3.30 in the afternoon, I was walking around the auditorium. And, in fact, this is one of the messages about Shimei that I shared in a series that I preached years ago that I'm going to turn into a book. I've got five chapters already down on paper. But this is one of the characters. Because you're going to have enemies. And Shimei, that word, when you get the derivatives of that name, it meant rumors and curses, defamation of character. Now when I took that church, I took a broken church. It had about 125 people. The people that were there were fantastic people. I had about half African American. I had about half Spanish and some white people to go along. And we had a good co-pastor that was leading. He was from the Air Force. And the Lord did different special things, the Holy Spirit did. But he spoke that to me. And I read every minute of that church's history from its very inception. And the guy that was the founding pastor, he got into circumstance where he had affairs with about five or six women, I think it was. But anyway, they had to remove him from being pastor. All right? He left. For six years, there was a man that pastored there. It was almost as if he had never been there. Because once he left, and then the Lord, you know, I was looking and sending resumes out, and I sent this, and I said, wouldn't that be ironic if he sent me to the tip of Florida from Poplar Bluff, Missouri? And so I ended up, we ended up going there, and so that was a, a historical thing too because the Lord told me to read Isaiah 42, and when I did, he said, this chapter is for that church in Florida after we had already been there. We'd gone to Senatobia, Mississippi. They were wanting us to come and be voted on that very next Sunday to be their pastors. Brand new building, brand new church. It was just started six years before. It was six hours, five hours from New Orleans. So we were close to Lucia's family. We were four hours from Poplar Bluff. We were close to my family. It was ideal. I was ready to go because we had already been to Florida and met with their board and preached there. And had good ministry. But they just couldn't seem to make up their mind until I got into bed that night after visiting Senatobia, Mississippi, just across the border from Memphis, Tennessee. And... I turned on MASH. You know, some shows are more spiritual than others. But, you know, MASH is not really too spiritual. I, I, was, I would watch these reruns, and so I was watching MASH, not being spiritual. Lucia had gone in, take a shower, and, and I heard the Holy Spirit clear as a bell. Open your Bible to Isaiah 42. So I opened it up, and I read in there about you go down to the coastline and the islands of the sea, and it talked about the ministry of Jesus, that he would not, uh, a weak, you know, twig he wouldn't break and, a, and a, a fire he would not snuff out. He had a servant's heart, and that's what we're supposed to have. And so there it was, and then it said, and the children of Satan, and he said, go down and sing to the Lord a new song. All right? That to me, that was the prophetic touch of God because I started moving really a lot in the prophetic then. But we went, and it said, before we went, it said in that passage, it said, those children of Selah rejoice on the mountaintop. And 
Then it talked about the others that were Bedouins that they cried out. They needed help. Well, Bedouins, you know, they would go from place to place. And that was a tourist community. We had snowbirds, they called them. They would come down and live half the year there, move, go back to Canada or New York or Massachusetts, wherever they came from. They would come down there for the wintertime. It would make our church bigger when they'd come down. Then they'd leave for several months and then come back. But it, I didn't understand it fully, but he said, this chapter's for that church. Call them and tell them. So I called the church, the secretary answered the phone, and I said, I'm supposed to tell Brother Willie Cooper, the co-pastor, that the church, the chapter for that, this church is Isaiah 42. You could hear a pin drop on the other side of the line. He said, okay, I'll do that. And uh, so we were preparing to get ready to go to Senatobia. And uh, they called me from Florida and said, we know you're the one supposed to be the pastor. And we're going to do whatever it takes. They had a couple of votes with the people. There's one guy that wouldn't vote for me to be pastor. And the funny thing is he cried when I left. Cried like a baby. But we went there, and God started moving, but I didn't understand why more people weren't coming at that time. He said, Shemai Spirit. And so I said, what does that mean, Lord? He said, well, the founding pastor had trouble. The church world is cursing this church. They're saying, that church has problems. And then... The world is spreading rumors because somebody comes and says, is this a church where the pastor messed up with women? I mean, literally. Six years after the guy had left, there was another whole pastor in between. They didn't act like he even existed. But then the people, I had a red beard back then, reddish brown. And the people say, you look like Brother So-and-so, the one that got in trouble. So. And said, you teach like him. You got charisma. And it's funny because this guy with white hair, tall, statuesque, older man, he came to see me and says, I can get you on television and you can become a star in this area. We can make you a star in the ministry. I said, well, that's not what I'm here for. I didn't come to become a star. He said, oh, don't worry about that. He said, just let me check it out. I can get you. He was an advertising executive from New York City. Had retired. Well, the gal that was over our intercessory prayer group, as soon as I asked God what it was, and he said, it's a Shemai spirit, rumors and curses, defamation of character. And I started binding that spirit in my prayer times in the afternoon. And then I told the church guess who didn't come back immediately the next service the intercessory prayer leader didn't come back never saw her again all the years that I lived there and this white haired guy that was an advertising executive he never came back we prayed them right out of the building and I found out later that their houses one was on the corner and the other one was this way, that their backyards were next to each other. I mean, the devil had an agenda. He wanted to bring me down, just like he brought the other guy down, to get my eyes on being somebody instead of just serving the Lord who is. And I, I said, that's not what I'm here for. I'm here to serve God and do His will. And so they left. And you know what? We started everything we did caused people to come into church. I printed up some flyers. We went door to door to something like 5,000 homes in our area. And we averaged five visiting families a week for a solid year before Hurricane Andrew destroyed our church. 
And we grew from 125 to 450 in one year. And then, you know, the hurricane destroyed it, tried to get me out of there again. I was one of four English-speaking pastors that stayed in South Florida from South Miami all the way to Key West. Only one of four. Now, there were Spanish-speaking pastors that stayed there, African-American pastors maybe, but I'm talking about the English-speaking churches. I was only one of four that stayed. And we saw that church really grow. God moved in it. But the key was understanding Shimei. Now, David knew he didn't have to deal with him right then, but later on when he came back and he put Solomon in, he told him, take care of Shimei. And he did. The dude was executed. He destroyed him. So God does what God does, what he needs to do. In chapter 18 and verse 14... 18 and 14. Is it up there now? Okay. Then Joab said, I cannot linger with you. And he took three spears in his hand, thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. Now, that grieved David terribly. But Absalom, because of his choices, was destroyed. And it says, Ten men... Young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and killed him. So Joab blew the trumpet, and the people returned from pursuing Israel, for Joab held back the people. And they took Absalom, cast him into a large pit in the woods, and laid a very large heap of stones over him. Then all Israel fled, and everyone to his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up a pillar for himself, which is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance. He called the pillar after his own name, and to this day it's called Absalom's monument. Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, Let me run now and take the news to the king how the Lord has avenged him of his enemies. And Joab said to him, You shall not take the news this day, for you shall take the news another day. But today you shall not take no news, because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to the Cushite, Go tell the king what you have seen. So the Cushite bowed himself to Joab and ran. And Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said again to Joab, But whatever happens, please let me also run after the Cushite. So Joab said, Why will you run, my son, since you have no news ready? But whatever happens, he said, Let me run. So he said to him, Run. Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and outran the Cushite. Now David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof over the gate to the wall, lifted his eyes and looked, and there was a man running alone. Then the watchman cried out and told the king. The king said, If he is alone, there is news in his mouth. And he came rapidly and drew near. Sometimes people want to be the big man. they got to be the one to tell the news. See, His motives were wrong. Then the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, There is another man running alone. And the king said, He also brings news. So the watchman said, I think the running of the first was like the running of Hemaz, the son of Zadok. king said, he's a good man and comes with good news. So Hemaz called out and said to the king, all is well. Then he bowed down his face to the earth before the king and said, Blessed be the Lord your God who has delivered up the men who raised their hand against my lord the king. The king said, is the young man Absalom safe? Hemaz answered, When Joab sent the king's servant and me your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I did not know what it was about. Then the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. 
Just then the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, There is good news, my lord the king, for the Lord has avenged you this day of all those who rose against you. And the king said to the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom safe? So the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise against you to do harm be like that young man. Then the king was deeply moved and went to the chamber over the gate and wept. As he went, he said thus, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. O Absalom, my son, my son. And Joab was told, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. Well, how far was I going to go? To verse 8? Okay, so the victory that day was turned into mourning for all the people, for the people heard it said that day, the king is grieved for his son. And the people stole back into the city that day as people who are ashamed steal away when they flee in battle. And the king covered his face, and the king cried out with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house to the king and said, Today you have disgraced all your servants who today have saved your life, the lives of your sons and daughters, the lives of your wives, and the lives of your concubines. And that you love your enemies and hate your friends, for you have declared today that you regard neither princes nor servants, for today I perceive that if Absalom had lived and all of us had died today, then it would have pleased you well. you got to watch what you say. Now therefore arise, go out and speak comfort to your servants. For I swear by the Lord, if you do not go out, not one will stay with you this night. And that will be worse for you than all the evil that has befallen you from your youth unto now. Then the king arose, sat in the gate, and they told all the people, saying, There is the king sitting in the gate. So all the people came before the Lord, the king, for every one of Israel had fled to his tent. There it is. David was a great king, but a lousy father. There's a lot of people who are in the ministry that they put the ministry before their families. And I very well could have done that. Down in South Florida after Hurricane Andrew, I had a million bucks in the bank account and I needed about two more million to do what needed to be done, but we did it. We built a big complex. We had a large number of people tending. I would sneak home in the afternoon for an hour or two and play with the kids in the swimming pool or whatever, and then I'd rush back for ministry at night. I had something going every day of the week. And then I began to travel and go to other countries and preach in other places. Then the Lord reminded me of the vision I had in 1985. And I began to pray and seek God. When can we go? When can we go? I didn't regard that large ministry and all the blessings or that I had on my life there so much. I even talked to Pastor Ken and I said, you want to go help me? We'll send you out ahead of us. And we did. And the Lord brought us here. Zach was in the sixth grade. I had to choose what God wanted, number one. But also, I didn't want to lose my family in the cracks called ministry in South Florida. I didn't want a big name, you know. I, I'm not saying I had one, but I knew a lot of people. I mean, a lot of big-time people came minister at our church. And we were the largest English-speaking church south of Miami, all the way to Key West. We had a lot of influence. But I knew for my family's sake we needed to move here and start this ministry where they could be on the ground floor with us. 
even as children. And we've seen God's hand all along the way. And my kids got to be, grow up. And you might say, well, Papa Buff's not that safe. Well, try living in Miami. <laughs> it's one of the worst, you know, crime factories in the world. You know, there was all kinds. We had all kinds come into our church that had done some pretty evil things. And God forgave them. I was so happy to have a revival there. But I knew it was God's will to come here. And now, as we're getting older, and Zach's taking the helm of the local church, and he's developing, and his me- I think his messages have been great. And I don't want to make him have a big head, so if I need to deflate him a little along the way, I can do that too. But No, I'm rooting him on. He's not an Absalom. He's loyal. I'm here to help him to lead this ministry into its next chapters and next levels where God's taking it because I've seen it in vision. But God brought us here and you got to be a good father more than you can, you know, David was a king, but you got to be a better father than a preacher. And so that's important. And David was a great king, but he was a lousy father. And then secondly, rejection from David caused bitterness in Absalom. And if you reject your children, or maybe you have suffered rejection from fathers or leaders in the past, a lot of people get wounded in church from leaders. And if anything, I've tried to be benevolent to people when they come. And then sometimes they leave anyway. But uh, I never want to be the cause of somebody's pain in the kingdom of God. The third thing is this. Men are often sincere fathers with wrong priorities. A lot of men want to be good fathers, but the priorities aren't right. And so they got to prioritize, you know, to have a good family. And I've tried to do that. I've tried to be there for my kids sometimes when they've stumbled and made their way along the way I've been there to try to help them to stand try to be a good father now the wrong order of things is the Lord ministry, church and family that's not the way it's supposed to be the right order is Lord, family ministry and church See, ministry is who you are. Church is everybody together. It's important. God loves His church. He gave His life for it. But you got to keep your family before the ministry of church. Fourthly, men need to be better fathers than preachers. And I've heard many men give their testimonies of how they kind of messed it up. Brother Summerall gave a testimony like that, how his son ran away from home. He was down in Guatemala somewhere, and his son had run away from home. And he talked to his wife, and his wife said, you need to get back here. He had to wake up and say, you know what, i got to become a better father. And then it made him a better spiritual father to those ministers. And I got in on some of that before he passed away. And uh, he really loved us. You know, he loved our church here too. Fifthly, physical health fails when bitterness rules the spirit. See, Absalom had bitterness. He was rejected. He had to beg Joab to go. He had to set his field on fire to get him to go get David's attention. And yet David kissed him, but it doesn't say he got with him and mentored him the way he should have been is still a failure you know and I don't want to see that happen with people I watch my kids with their kids Zach's a good father to Lyrica Lyrica loves her papa you know I just think that's awesome she comes and hugs my neck but uh, you know your physical health can fail if bitterness rules your spirit. 
say, you know, it's not worth it being bitter. It's not worth it not forgiving. Forgiveness is for the one doing the forgiving. I mean, sure, somebody's glad to be forgiven, but forgiving somebody releases you. So in conclusion, you know, you don't ever have to live in rejection or bitterness. You can put that behind you. You can live a forgiven lifestyle. Proverbs 17:22 tells us, A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. You know, life is in the marrow and the blood comes out of the marrow, doesn't it? So, you know, life comes out of your bones. Blood comes from your bones. So your bones need to be healthy. A merry heart does good, like a medicine. Isn't it great to be alive? Great to be a Christian? Great to have some ministry and serve others? You know, I can't wait to see what is before us because I've seen it and it's awesome. I can't wait to see things happen that God showed me. And God loves people. I tell you what. He loves everybody in this room. And He loves kids. I love kids. Kevin commented on that Sunday to me. I said, yeah, I love kids. I, I have a lot of fun talking to the kids. Anyway, stand with me. Father, we love you. And we thank you for Jesus Christ and the blood that bought our salvation. We thank you for the stripes he bore on his back and the thorns that were in his brow, that he could heal the mind, he could heal the diseases and sicknesses, he can deliver us from the things that try to strangle us and destroy us. And Lord, you're the way maker. You're the one who makes us free. And we give you praise for that. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you for being here. Be friendly. Make sure you talk to somebody else.